Welcome to Sport Management Review Insights. I'm your host, Vito Sura. Community sport is a vital part of society for both good health and social well-being. So managing non-profit community sport organizations effectively is an important social good. And in this episode, we're going to focus on strategic planning in community sport. Joining us to discuss this is someone who's published several articles on community sport organizations. She's a researcher in the Department of Recreation and Leisure Studies at the University of Waterloo. It's Kristen Morrison. Welcome, Kristen. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on from the great state of Ontario in Canada, uh, which uh, I I don't think I went. I stopped off in um, Hamilton on the way to, to Moncton once, and that's as close as I got. Not, not quite to Waterloo then. No. no, I didn't. Kristen and co-author Katie Meisner recently published Exploring the Conditions for Strategic Planning in Nonprofit Community Sport. Now, Kristen, we've discussed different issues relating to community sport clubs on, on the podcast and, and, of course, published in Sport Management Review. Uh, things like fraud with, with Lisa Keel, which, is, which was fascinating. So if you haven't heard that one, go back and listen. But how did this paper help our understanding of the community sport and community sport research? For my co-author, Katie Meisner, and I, this paper is really about understanding what leaders of community sport clubs were doing in terms of strategic planning. Because as you noted, these clubs just play this really important role in our community. They provide these important and accessible and affordable pathways for sport participation. So it's really critical to understand the factors that can influence these organizations' ability to do that, their ability to achieve some long-term goals. And these club leaders are navigating really increasingly complex environments. They're uh, dealing with some increased competition from other clubs. They're having difficulty recruiting and retaining volunteers, securing funding and infrastructure. On top of all this, in Canada and in many countries, sport participation rates have been stagnant or declining. So there's kind of this overarching pressure on these clubs to think a little bit more about what the role in the community is like and how they're going to achieve these these goals. And there's also some increasing pressure on these clubs to achieve certain goals and part of policy as directed by their governing bodies, like the provincial sport organizations and national sport organizations. So as a result of all of this combined, these clubs are being forced to professionalize, but they often don't know how to do that. And strategic planning is part of that response. So it's important for clubs to be able to do it well, to make these longer term plans, to define their role in the community. But previous research showed that, you know, club leaders recognize that strat planning is an important part of that response, but it's also a really challenging aspect of what they're doing. And as a result, they often are using a problem-solving style that's more reactive and pragmatic than proactive and strategic. And beyond that, we just don't know much about strategy and how it's developed or implemented in the community sport organization context. And so this paper examined contextual factors that influence the use of strat planning for membership growth in this community sport context. And it looked at how club leaders understand and are acting on these factors, because by understanding this, we're able to start to see how and why club leaders are shifting from that a reactive and pragmatic type of problem-solving style to being more proactive and strategic in how they manage their clubs and how they're navigating this increasingly complex environment. I think anyone who's worked or been part of a community sport organization would be going, yep, that's absolutely right. Um, so how did you come to, to see this as an important area to, to research relating to community sport clubs? Were you involved in one and, and thought, what a mess this is, I need to go and, and do something and, and, and figure this out? I wouldn't say necessarily what a mess this is, uh, but yeah, it did definitely stem from my own experiences, both as an amateur athlete and my own professional experience working in that sports sector. So growing up, I would consider myself to be a sampler of different sports. So if you named a sport, I have probably tried it. 
I tried dance and gymnastics and fencing, swimming, etc. But it really wasn't until my undergraduate degree that I found my sport home. Uh, so I was recruited to be on the varsity rowing team at Western University, where I did my undergrad. Uh, and I wish I could lie and say that I was recruited because of some really cool, promising athletic talent. But no, I was recruited because I'm just really short. And they needed someone who was short to sit in the boat and steer it. Kristen, I feel your pain. Uh, so after that, that fall rowing season, it's intensive, but really short. And so I was really excited to get back on the water in the summertime when, you know, the ice melted and we can get back out there. So I called a local rowing club closer to my hometown where I went moved back in the summer and I heard nothing. I called again, left messages, emailed, I heard nothing. Um, so instead of getting on the water practice that I, I really did need, I spent the summer trying to learn everything I could by reading books, by listening to auto recordings. And that was my first real experience with that typical small community support club where volunteers are really busy and they wear so many different hats that things just get lost sometimes. And after graduating with my master's and before I pursued my PhD, I worked for the Provincial Sport Organization for Rowing in Ontario. And I learned that my experience with that local rowing club was not unique and that many of these clubs were small. They were run pretty informally by a group of volunteers. But there were also some clubs that were looking to professionalize. They were maybe hiring an executive director. They were undertaking strategic planning processes. And anecdotally, the differences between these more professional clubs seemed to grow in membership versus the smaller clubs were stagnating and declining. And just the differences in terms of the resources that these clubs were, were had to use was pretty astounding as well. And so I started to dig a little bit more into the literature on strategic planning in the community sport context. Because I thought, you know, what can I do to support these clubs? How can I help them to strategic plan, to think about this stuff? And what I found was that most of the work on strategic planning in the community sport context was really stemming from work on organizational capacity, where planning development capacity is just one dimension of overall capacity. And so I felt this was a really important area to explore. And really the reason I went back to do my PhD uh, because it gave us a little bit more information in terms of furthering our academic understanding of strat planning in this context, but it's also really practical in terms of the implications it has for sport practitioners as they're grappling with these environmental challenges that they're really trying to keep their clubs up and running and do good for the community. As you mentioned there, you, you took a particular framework that probably wasn't widely used in, in community sport research, institutional theory. And, and some people might think, oh, I've heard of that before. That's right. Because Calvin Knight talked about it in his podcast, uh, including the idea of isomorphism. So just for those who haven't, Krista, can you just tell us a bit more about the, the framework you used here and why it was useful? Organizations don't operate in isolation, as you know. Uh, they're shaped and are shaped by, by the broader context in which they operate. So things like uh, regulatory and political settings, as well as the institutional field where they're operating within. So institutional field being, you know, organizations that are operating in that same realm, they're sharing cultural rules and meaning systems. So in the community sports setting, we're talking about the different clubs, different soccer clubs, different rowing clubs, governing bodies and funders, for example, are all kind of within this institutional field. And so we focused in the study on uh, just one aspect of institutional theory, isomorphism because it helps us to really understand the similarity of organizations in the same field. And these organizations can experience different pressures uh, that can encourage organizations to become more homogenous. For example, of course, advice morphism comes from that formal and informal pressure on an organization 
So for example, the soccer club might feel there's pressures from governing bodies to do certain things or from funders, for example, to have certain policies and procedures in place. Uh, normative isomorphism comes from that professionalization through education and professional networks, while mimetic isomorphism comes from kind of the sense of organizational uncertainty. And so organizations feel that and they look to mimic other organizations that they believe are legitimate. All these pressures can encourage organizations to become more similar to each other. And so going into the study, uh, Katie and I were really curious to see whether some of these isomorphic pressures might be present as club leaders engage in strategic planning. And I mean, strategies and strategic plans themselves aren't neutral, right? They're developed and implemented by organizational leaders who themselves might shape these strategies to serve their own interests. And further, these strategies can be used to define boundaries, to define activities that can create more legitimacy and more cultural support for an organization. So there's some kind of cool ties already with strategy and isomorphism and institutional theory. And there's also the sort of tension between isomorphism and strat planning because strat planning is often associated with this kind of idea of gaining a competitive advantage over other competing organizations. So we wanted to explore this idea of how using strat, how the use of strat planning, I should say, is shaped by what's going on in the broader context in which these clubs are operating. How are these nonprofit sport leaders adopting or adapting institutional ideas? And where are these ideas kind of coming from? So for your case study, like you mentioned, you actually um, used six uh, soccer clubs in Canada. It'd be great to just tell us why that was useful and, and how you got to choose six, those six clubs. But, uh, but also I think importantly, you used a method triangulation, which is, I think is fascinating. Interviews, focus groups, document analysis. And I just want to know, was it easy to go around collecting this data with these, with these clubs? And how did you go about bringing it together? Because I can imagine you've got lots of different things going on, lots of things coming at you, and you've got to kind of collate all this data. Yeah, no, that's a great point. We did have a number of challenges in the study in terms of getting access. So we came up with the idea to really delve into strat planning in this context, but we also had to figure out, you know, what's the right approach? Because we don't know much about strat planning in this context, so how are we going to kind of get a holistic picture about what's going on? So we decided on a multiple case study of soccer clubs, as you mentioned, in one province in Canada. Uh, because case studies really provide this rich description of the phenomena and using multiple cases can really give you a more holistic picture, um, lets you to do a little bit more exploring in terms of what this phenomena looks like more broadly. We also want to just hear stories, we wanted to hear details about strat planning from the various people involved in the process. We also knew that CSOs can vary in terms of size and structure and membership growth trends, so we felt it was important to have voices from clubs that represented this range to get that more holistic picture of what strat planning is like in this context. Um, so of our six participating clubs, we made sure to get a range of different sizes and structures and membership growth trends. So for example, two clubs reported declining membership trends, two had a staple membership base, two had increasing membership. So we kind of made sure we got this range of different clubs. But our difficulty in terms of getting those clubs was really what we were finding was the bigger clubs seemed to be more likely to have a strat plan in place already that was focused on kind of increasing membership. So it was much harder to find some of those more smaller clubs that were following the strat plan and to get them on board. Once we finally did have those six clubs willing to participate, we were very fortunate to have some club leaders that were really in our corner. They were willing to provide us access to their strat plan documents to set up focus groups with their staff if they had staff and with their board of directors. One club, though, we didn't get access to their board of directors because there's some kind of internal conflict going on about other matters in the club. So 
even though that executive director was vouching for us, really pushing for us to get access, that board just said, no, we just don't feel like we're able to engage in the study at the time. So we did have some challenges bringing it all together, but we are very fortunate to have those supportive club leaders who, who thought that this was a really important topic to study. The, the idea that uh, someone wanted it to happen, but internal conflict prevented you from gathering the data. I think a lot of people feel your pain there. Um, <laughs> now that, that's, that's really fascinating. And like I mentioned before, you had the, the multiple um, method. How did you go about analyzing what you actually had? Also analyzing the within case and as you mentioned, cross case analysis. Yeah, so first we need to know what was going on in each club before we could compare and contrast across the clubs. So we started with that within case analysis. So we developed individual case studies for each of these clubs. We combined transcripts from focus groups and interviews, as well as the strat plan documents. So essentially what we were doing was treating each of these cases as its own unit. And we coded them one by one in an effort to develop constructs and relationships that kind of describes the use of strategic planning in each of these cases. And then from there, we conducted a cross-case analysis to identify patterns across most, if not all of these cases, in order to provide a more you know, nuanced, more holistic understanding of what strat planning looked like in the CSO context. Based on, on that analysis, what were the key findings? I would say the key findings or the key takeaway from this paper is really that strat planning is this dynamic process that it's situated in changing environments. So it's really critical to understand the interplay between different factors and how organizational leaders understand and respond to these factors, as well as the pressures they may experience through isomorphism and how these influence strat planning. So what we did was identify a number of different conditions that influenced the use of strat planning in this context, including things like environmental pressures, like there's changing demographics in the club's communities, there's this aging population, um, less young families moving into some municipalities, for example. There's also perceived competition from nearby clubs, implied expectations from professional sport organizations that clubs would engage in strat planning. We also found that having a supportive organizational culture where board members and staff held you know, similar expectations and values related to strat planning, and where clubs members also bought into strat planning as important to influencing the use of strat planning. Another condition that influenced the use of strat planning was the club's organizational capacity, whether there was that experienced and knowledgeable individual who was willing to champion strat planning, whether the club leaders felt they had adequate sport facility infrastructure, whether they had adequate uh, financial resources to actually engage in this process. So it all kind of combined together to help to influence club leaders' decision to use strategic planning. And there were times where these club leaders also kind of persisted the idea of completely following what the provincial sport organizations were doing. So strategic planning was not always as straightforward as what sometimes we think it is. And part of that is because of the isomorphism that came into play and how this isomorphism influenced these conditions. So, for example, larger and more successful organizations served as role models for smaller organizations, and it really just prompted club leaders to engage in strategic planning to restructure, to, to access facility space, to adapt to these changing demographics. And we found this to be really interesting because going back to what you and I briefly touched on earlier, research often focused on heterogeneity and strategy through an emphasis on that competitive advantage where differences in the organization's strategies translate into differences in their performance. And so the study found that engaging in strategic planning, club leaders were often looking to other clubs that they believed were successful under similar conditions 
in order to learn how to better position themselves to navigate these changes, to gain legitimacy. And so the competitive advantage that they perceived was really mimicking other organizations, which kind of is an interesting contrast to some of the more traditional strategic planning literature. Yeah, you could see how you found something there really interesting. More broadly and theoretically, what, what does this all mean? How did this advance our understanding? Yeah, this paper provides just some insight into why and how club leaders are engaging in strategic planning to grow their membership, to address some of those complex environmental issues, to achieve long-term plans uh, or long-term goals, I should say. But what I found was really unique in the study was this explicit focus on strategic planning and nonprofit community sport. And its emphasis on taking a contextualized approach to strat planning because you know, conditions that influence what strat planning is like in other organizations like professional sport organizations are not going to necessarily be the same conditions that influence strat planning in the club context. You could see how this is going to have some practical implications and you talked about the practical implications like right from the beginning. That was another objective of yours as well as advancing the theory. So based on this and based on anything you've really done in this area and your research, what advice would you give to those people working in community sport clubs, people who are working in strategic planning in these organizations? Yeah, I would just emphasize that it's critical to understand the environment where a club is operating in as you're considering whether to engage in strat planning and how to do that. Clubs don't operate in isolation. It's important to consider factors in the external environment, like those demographic trends in your community, different organizations you might be competing against for members. Um, but it's also important to look internally within the club and to consider different resources you can draw on to engage in strat planning. Is there someone you can tap to lead the strat planning process? Are people willing to buy into this process? And by considering all these different factors, club leaders might be better situated to be more effective in how they engage in strat planning in a way that allows them to kind of carve out different possibilities for their club to achieve these goals of them themselves. What I found interested in, in just talking to different clubs was how some of the PSOs might provide examples of what strategic planning looks like. But these tended to be examples for, you know, larger clubs, more professional clubs already that might have different resources than smaller clubs. And so it's really important to take into account this kind of contextualized approach about what is available for these clubs and how can these clubs really maximize what they have to use. So it's not just the copy and paste approach. You've got to think a bit deeper than that, don't you? Exactly. You hit it on the nail there. Thanks so much, Kristen. It's been really fascinating talking about this. And I think it's really important research for, as we mentioned, for, for, for social good, for social well-being um, and, and health as well. So um, really fascinating. And hopefully everyone reads your article and, and, and takes, uh, takes all this advice on board as well. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much, Kristen. And thanks for listening to Sport Management Review Insights. Head to the Sport Management Review website to check out all the latest research that's being published, including the article discussed in this episode, Exploring the Conditions for Strategic Planning in Nonprofit Community Sport. That's it for this episode, but of course, there are many more you can listen to on your favorite podcast player. And if you could follow the podcast, then give us a five-star rating. That'd be great too. Until next time, it's bye for now.